define success. So you said, right, what is it? How do you, when you're working with a client, do they identify what yeah. would say to them is their success ahead? What so before I, I will even start working with somebody, before we, you know, before we even agree whether we're going to work together, we have a sort of onboarding process. And the, one, of those, one of the big questions on that is what do you want? What does winning look like? Yeah. What is success to you? And the answer that is not acceptable is, oh, I want to be a bit healthier. Or I want to be a bit fitter. Or I want to be, I want to sleep a bit better. I have a bit more because you can't measure that. And you know, the human brain is a terrible thing at telling you you were all you could be better, yeah. or or forgetting how bad things were. Um, so every client sits down and we have it documented that this is what winning looks like at, on day one, and that can change. But it's, you know, it's really important to know. And then the second question, which is 100% critical in, you know, the vast 100% critical in, in the success we get. And the reason for that is because the biggest thing we do actually here is behavioral change. We change people's behaviors around their health. Um, and so, again, you know, whilst you were setting up, you heard me chuckle. Somebody had, had emailed somebody I know had, had sort of emailed me and said, I hate exercise and I don't have the time to be consistent and I'll fall out with you if you shout at me. Do you think we can work together? <laughs> Which I just thought was brilliant. You know? yeah. um, and, you know, and the, and the answer to that is, I hate exercise, not a problem. Okay, and again, I'm sure we'll get onto why that's not a problem. Um, you don't need to exercise to be healthy. Okay, um, you need to exercise if you want to be fit. But you don't need to exercise if you want to be healthy, um, and um, and then secondly, um, what was what was oh, what was I saying? Don't shout at me. Don't shout at me. That's fine. I don't shout at anybody. Okay, I do a nice cheeky little bit of guilt every now and then. Yeah. Um, and and so the, the the point from that is that you know if we understand, oh that's right, I don't have time to be consistent. And it's like you've got time to be consistent. You just don't want to be consistent because it doesn't matter enough. And that can be fine. And that's a question I ask people, you know, before, um, you know, before we go in. And again, I ask them to, to, you know, grade their motivation on a scale of one to 10. If they don't go above a certain score, which I'm not telling, I'm not putting, putting out there, yeah. we don't go any further because there's no point because they won't value what I'm doing and they won't get those results. But the big thing in the middle is they're going to know why it matters. You know, if, if, if that individual wants, um, wants to improve their back and lose a bit of weight, you know, why? What is it about your life right now that is not good enough that you want to invest, you know, minimum six months and, you know, the money it's going to cost in order to change it? Why is that going to matter? Because if it doesn't matter enough, the best thing that person can do for themselves is not do it. Yeah. Because otherwise you're just going to fail and nobody likes failing. Nobody likes spending time, money and effort to not get the result they think they're going to get. Welcome to Live, Love, Laugh and Learn, the podcast that helps you be more, do more and get more out of life. Life's not long enough to make all our mistakes ourselves, so we share great ideas and interview fabulous and successful people so we can learn the secrets to living life on purpose, loving what we do and leading a fun-packed life. And here's your host, Chris Williams. Hi, you lovely listener, or I can say listeners now, because I know we've got more than one, because we're getting some great feedback. The intro's given you a little bit of an insight into who our guest is on this episode. 
and just wanted to put things into context. We, we, we talk to people who have written books and we talk about books. We talk to people who are building successful businesses and a lot of it has been weighting towards, well, weighted towards some of it to the financial career side of our life. And we are talking about um, fitness and well-being to a certain extent. But this episode is absolutely definitely about fitness and well-being. And I don't know what your philosophy is, but we've only got one body to live in and it really is a good idea to look after it. I'm a great believer in preventative exercise and to, you know, don't wait till something happens before we do something about it and just keeping you know, that mobility and stuff going along. And my personal belief, we need to take a bit of a holistic view to um, fitness and well-being because ultimately if we want to achieve all the things you want to achieve in life we need a bit of vitality and in the conversation that you're going to hear um, with Jim I've worked with Jim personally I can absolutely recommend his services but it isn't really just about that it's about being aware that we should all be looking after ourselves and one of his great sayings is well actually if you if you want to lose weight that starts in the kitchen and um, the other thing you'll notice him say is you to be healthy you don't have to exercise to be fit you have to be able to exercise so let's jump into the episode with the fabulous Jim Thorpe of JT Ethos I hope you're as excited as I was and still am uh, are you excited Jim I am excited yeah I, I enjoy enjoy these conversations and uh, you never know where they're going to end up so yeah I'm looking yeah. forward to this <laughs> we don't do we no and uh, we are just a heads up for our listener we are sort of uh, socially distanced but we're actually out on the road aren't we Jim we're actually looking at each other eye to eye because I've been doing these things on zoom so this is the first podcast ever recorded um what do you call it on the road yeah anyway yeah. whatever you call it so I've got some questions lined up for you, Jim, but something you may or may not remember. You made a big impression on me when I first met you. I, do you know, I do remember this. Do you I remember think. this? I believe I, I do. Go on. <laughs> it must have been, well, time flies when you're enjoying yourself. It's probably actually 15 odd years yeah, ago. Yeah, give or take, I would say. And I can remember sitting at uh, in Costa's yeah. Cafe, if, yeah. it, if it, I think it was Costa's then, yeah. in, uh, in Mead Green, and... I was I used to go to fitness first gym and you walked in and you had a pair of these five finger Vibram <laughs> shoes on your feet and, and actually you've you got them on today so yeah. oh, good podcast special yeah have a look at Jim's feet right now <laughs> so to describe what these are they're like gloves for the feet would that be a fair yeah, absolutely fair yeah. comment yeah. and um, so that sort of brought you to my attention I think we had a quick conversation yeah. about it because I, I would have obviously said what are those <laughs> your feet <laughs> so that this strange guy approaches you in the Costas yeah. queue this is when you could talk to people yes in yeah. the Costas queue yeah I can't remember, remember that um, but I'd love to know um, let's give the audience a little bit of insight into those five fingers and the Vibrams and how you why you were wearing them at the time and you still wear them so yeah share a few so the, I mean the idea behind it and you know uh, a lot of the ethos of my company is JT Ethos, um, and the, the 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 reason behind that is it's you know I have a very strong understanding and feeling and passion for health and well being. Um, I wouldn't necessarily put myself in the fitness bracket. There are people out there who do fitness a lot better than I do, but you know anything that makes the human body 
um, perform better and but also perform how it's grown up you know we have we have evolved over millions of years and you know it takes a hundred thousand years to change our genetic makeup one tenth of one percent so we are still cavemen and cavewomen at heart in our you know in our roots in our bones and we're still moving like them and we should be moving like them. our bodies should move like that now obviously evolution from a technological point of view to be doing something like we're doing now from a locomotive point of view in so many ways has just accelerated beyond all recognition and it's accelerated way way faster than we have as physical specimens um, and so the five fingers basically bring us back to walking barefoot in a modern day environment now why would you do that well number one is um, and there's, there's a number of reasons why and you, you know you can research those. the ones that really struck a chord with me are um that they you know your toes are there to help you balance um and to help you move and if you stuck them in a sock and you stick them in a shoe yeah. they can't do their job oh, you know very yeah. simply and it's a it's a bit like the difference between wearing mittens and wearing gloves yeah you know is 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 the difference so so from number one from a toe point of view it's balance it's and it's ground contact the second point of view then as well and this is something i've come to later on in my career is the flexion of the big toe is actually really, really important to long-term health because every time you walk, when you walk properly, you need full flexion of the big toe. And what flexion is basically bending it forwards up to the air. Right. Um, so pulling your toes up into the top of your shoe or to, uh, into the air. And if you have full flexion of the big toe, then you will walk you know, much better than if you don't. Because right. if you don't, what happens is your, your foot... Will what you get what they call a heel wag. So your heel will either go outwards, so that you can still get the bend of the foot and you can have a normal walking pattern. Yeah. Okay. Or it will bend inwards. So you'll you'll accommodate in some way. And, you know, and this is why the human body is amazing at adapting and accommodating. But if you've got heel wag, that's giving you a rotational force in the leg somewhere, and that's got to be accommodated somewhere in the foot. And again, how many steps are we doing a day? 10,000 steps yeah, is a absolutely. sort of standard yeah. number, you know. Um, if you're doing, you know, ridiculous triathlons and all sorts of other stuff, you'll do a hell of a lot more. So even one, two, three degrees loss of movement will have an impact, which if repeated over time, over time, over time, creates problems. So are they going to happen in the knee? Or it might happen in the hip if you're lucky, actually, or it goes into the back. And one of my specialties is low back pain. And, you know, the number of people you find with persistent low back pain who've got poor flexion of the big toe. And using the, the five fingers means that I don't have to worry about that because I'm walking properly every day. And so I can get access to my toes and I can have those things. So there's a, there's a, a benefit there. And then the more biomechanical one, again, a lot of people will be familiar with orthotics and podiatry and things yeah. like that. And, and again, I'm very much a sort of natural kind of person. You know, let's get back to basics. And, and again, the foot is designed to move and flex and bend and absorb shock and other bits and pieces. Yeah. And also as you're walking, you're converting the what they call the kinetic energy. You know, we're going back to sort of you know O level physics um, or GCSE physics, yeah. depending on how old you are. Um, you have the kinetic energy you create by moving forward, which when you hit the ground, you've got that ground um, force resistance. Yeah. Go back to Newton's laws. Every uh, action's got an equal opposite reaction. That force, when it hits the ground, that energy then gets converted into potential energy, goes up the back. Up through the up through the leg into the back actually gets stored some of it in the neck as well wow. gets stored in the fascia of the body, 
And then as you roll through mid stride, so through midfoot, and then drive yourself off in the drive phase, then you actually redu re you reuse that energy to actually drive yourself forward. So you're making, by having that ground contact and optimizing that, you're making movement more efficient. Um, and you lose that if you've got a big, big saggy sole on, you know, a big soft sole with air in or all the rest of it. You lose that ground contact. So you lose an element of that kinetic energy that's driving you forward on each step to then drive you into the next step. And I've, I saw this really early on, um, back, you know, it probably wasn't quite when we met, maybe so a few years, a few years later, um, that, um, I was doing some running, my kids were going swimming, you know, swimming lessons and, you know, the last thing you want to do is sit in there and watch, you know, watch them when they're sort of four or five years old. So it was like, oh, I'll take myself off for a run at school playing fields, uh, go off for a run. And, and I, I ran, um, it was only, you know, I don't know how far it was, let's say it was 3K, okay? I'm, you know, I'm not a big runner, I don't run great distances. And whatever time I did it in one week, I went and ran the same, exactly the same run, exactly the same time, day, you know, the ground, everything the same. Um, and I was about four or five minutes faster in my five fingers than I was in trainers. Right. And that was the one to me, I was like, wow, okay, there's something in that. Now, I don't run in them that often um, because again I only like to if I'm running it needs to be on soft ground you know because there is it takes a lot of adaptation to get used to walking on hard ground with them yeah. Um, but yeah that's that's the reasoning behind it um, and in, again interesting little aside um, I was on a course in New York studying when they'd just been released they were sort of relatively fresh off the face in New York and um, being sort of health kind of geeks that we are uh, somebody had sort of spotted these think one of one of the one of the american guys in the in the group had got them and the person who first imported to the uk was a, a sort of assistant instructor on that course and right. he bought them over so that was where my connection started and and he bought them over to the uk and obviously then you know they're much more popular now um and uh and yes i i sort of you know, bought my first pair and I, to be i mean the good thing is they're expensive for what they are but they last you know i've still got the the, you know, the original pair that you know are still wearable right if not a bit thin on the sole so yeah that's, that's the advert for five fingers. Wow. Okay. So, well, mm. thank you for that because unbeknown to you, I went off, did my research, got myself a pair of five fingers right. and learned all about the benefits when running. Mm. I must admit, I'd like some advice from you on, uh, I I don't walk in them very well because I feel more comfortable like walking on my toes. Yeah. I run on my toes. Yeah. Walking, heel yeah. planting in them mm. isn't as comfy. But yes. I did that experiment that you said. It was quite nerve-wracking interesting because I've got a little loop right around Sutton Park. Mm. It's, it's a 5K. And I thought, I'm going to get these five fingers because I saw Jim and he yeah. must know what he's talking about. And I've done my <laughs> research. So I've got them. And I can remember having real butterflies for the first time, not mm. going out in like a real yeah. solid pair of trainers, mm. you know. And going out in these five fingers. And it was like running on air. It yeah. was a really wonderful experience. And, and actually, your foot is designed. I'm not, you know, I don't know anything about anatomy or anything, but it's like a spring, isn't it? There's, yeah, absolutely. There's loads of bones in it. Yeah. And yeah. it is um, sort of toe running or running on the front part of your foot. Your foot was designed for that, wasn't it? Mm. And, and mm. actually, I was amazed at how well that went. So mm. uh, I did, um, I did. I got up to about 10K. I struggled after that with my calves. Yeah. But my son, Harry, mm -hmm. who hadn't obviously run as long as I had in normal clumpy trainers, he actually ended up doing a half the Birmingham half marathon in his five fingers wow. and flew. I right. mean, proper yeah. flew. Mm. So, uh, so just um, to geek out before we move on to um, something else I wanted to ask you, what sort of 
model you're wearing? Because when people, if anybody's interested, they'll look this up and then they're going to see a plethora of options yeah. of five fingers. Do you know what pair you've got? I don't know what they are, actually. You've, you've got me on that. Um, I'm, trying, I'm desperately trying to look. No, I don't. I mean, for me, I, I wear them for work so you know I, I sort of go for the, I, I use them for black because you know they've got some very bright colours and yeah. again you know I I can I can sort of geek out and put people off you know when they're coming in to see me at the best <laughs> yeah. of times so you know if I've got these big luminescent <laughs> things with my toes sticking out um, and I also quite like the fun side of things of, of, of you know going into Costa or going somewhere and people kind of you know sort of scan you up and down and they sort of do the massive double take when they see your feet and they're like what the hell are those yeah. you know um, so that's quite enjoyable so no I just I like the ones with laces on as well, and they've got some open open ones. The yeah. open ones are good. Um, again, on a sort of purely sort of you know useless note for anybody else, they only do them in black, as far as I'm aware now, and yeah, those don't quite work in the summer. You know, that's yeah, a bit I of a disappointment. A bit, uh, that was the first pair I had the open. I felt a bit mm. naked. Yes, weird. Whereas yeah, yeah. I know a pair I bought. They're KSOs, which stands for keep the shit out. <laughs> <laughs> So they're not lace-up, but they do cover the top of your foot. Right, okay, yeah. Um, so, and I've had some... I mean, the other thing with them, again, you know, we're going right down the rabbit hole here, but <laughs> your feet get really cold in the winter in them. You yes. know, they are rubbish in the wet, you know. Um, although they do... I have got some neoprene ones, which are really warm. So, uh, you know, you can get winter ones as well. Um, and they've got a bit of a thicker sole as well, so they're a bit better to wear in the, in the wet. Yeah, well, so, I use my... The KSL ones in the gym. Right, yeah as well because mm. when you're doing um squats and stuff yeah, you yeah. feel really proper connected absolutely brilliant for that really yeah. good for mm. that and then the other pair where i feel naked in them a little bit i wear them on my paddleboard yes so they're wa- like they're waterproof yeah, yeah. and they're yeah. a good and you still feel you can grip it's mm. almost barefoot but you're not barefoot. yeah i used to wear mine uh sailing i used to go and do some outdoor pursuits or holidays and things and i'd, I'd always wear them in the water and things like that yeah mm. no they're really good so mm. we've geeked out on yeah. vibram five fingers so yeah. i wanted to i wanted to uh, <laughs> to mention that but let's go back to how this all started because i've worked with you on this with with fitness and you yeah. know i've been very very impressed in in the work you and i have done together mm-hmm. you've got some great testimonials of the work you do with people and you're very different you know yeah. i've had and i don't I don't want to insult you by saying personal trainer, but I'm, I'm, I've had different personal trainers, mm-hmm. right? But the way you approach things is different. But where did it all start? Because you've got, could you just tell us what your background is and how you've moved through this? Because yeah, it's so my background. You know, back in the day, I grew up wanted to play, fly planes and play rugby for England, and I did neither. Okay. <laughs> But I came close to doing both. Right. So, um, so I ended. I always wanted to be in the air force, and I started off. Um, I was going to be a navigator. I was never. I didn't have the aptitude for pilot. You know, all sorts of things you need for that, and I just didn't have it. Um, and it was a very, you know, air crews very, very competitive. Um, so I ended up, um, and it, somebody decided I would be best suited to something called the RF regiment, which is basically a sort of um, an infantry regiment that is there to support the mobile air assets. Well, certainly in my time it was. It's almost certainly changed now, and I've got no idea. But um, when I was there, it grew out of the Cold War and the idea of the Harrier jump jets and the helicopters being deployed in the forests of Germany and needing security around that, both on the ground and low-level air security. So it was basically an infantry role. So I was a soldier in the Air Force. Um, and again, at my time, I'm sort of giving, you know, giving listeners an idea of my age because rugby wasn't professional at the point where I signed up. It's a bit of a story of my life is that 
I signed up um, for the Air Force, and at the time, I signed up till I was thirty-eight. Um, you know, full cot, you know, the full full shebang, full engagement. It was, you know, going to be there, sort of man and boy, so to speak. And literally about a month later, rugby turned professional. Um, so you know, when I was looking into the Air Force, it, it wasn't even an option to go and play rugby because I didn't earn any money. Um, it was the glorious amateur days, and then a week, you know, a month later, it, it had all sort of changed. Now, I was not good enough at that point to have even considered earning a living. You know, even the guys that were at the sort of the first team level at that point, and we're talking sort of tier two level of rugby where I was at that point. Um, they they weren't earning enough to give at work or anything like that. So it was very early days. It was a lot of fun, but you know, it was very early days. Um, went through my basic training with the Air Force, did all of that, and, I, and my rugby just kept getting better and better, which you know became a little bit of a problem because you couldn't do both. So something had to give. Now, yeah. I was very fortunate that the Air Force uh, put me on sabbatical, um, so I then went and played full time professional rugby um, and peaked out in the Premierships, a Tier One at that point. Never got capped, unfortunately. Um, so. Um, but I was, you know, I'm very proud in a lot of ways to say that it was with and against everybody involved in the World Cup winning team. So wow. my pinnacle was 2003, uh, their pinnacle was 2003. Unfortunately, I wasn't in their team, but you know. <laughs> but you played kind of everything. Them. But yeah, played against them and with them um, and, and was in and around that scene. And, you know, and, and, and in a lot of ways I was lucky and everybody at that time was lucky because we knew amateurism and we did it all for nothing. Yeah. You know, in my early days in the Air Force, I was driving from Bury St. Edmunds up to Rotherham three, four times a week, you know, outside of work. So doing a day job, going up to, you know, some people might not have said I was doing a day job, but I thought I was. Um, but no, you know, in all seriousness, doing the day job, jumping in the car, two and a half hours up to training, train for two hours, two and a half hours, grab a bite to eat, two and a half hours back, back at one o'clock in the morning, back on shift at five, five thirty in the morning. Wow. Um, and, but I was doing it because I loved it, you know, and yeah. it was a passion. It was, you know, and, I'd, and then to be paid for that and to get to do it full time. And for me, doing it full time brought out the best in me. You know, it was, a, I was a much better rugby player the more time I spent doing it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so that was, that sort of all culminated 2003, 2004, something like that. And, all like all things, all good things come to an end. Um, and although, you know, at the time it possibly wasn't, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm comfortable with the decision I made to leave the Air Force because I changed and the Air Force had changed in yeah. my time away. Um, I equally got a lot from them and perhaps you could argue I didn't pay it back, but there's, I won't go into that now. There's internet to that, which is, you know, it was unnecessary. But it, you get to that point where it's sort of like, well, what what's next? You know, they're you know, both rugby, you know, rugby. My body retired me from rugby, and uh, and my my sort of developed personality, if you like, retired me from the air force. Right. Um, I got to the point I was what twenty eight years old at the time, and I got ten years left to go. And what you, I don't get, I have no idea what it's like now. But what you found with the the air force, I can't talk about any other forces. But there's a lot of people hanging out for their pension. Yeah. Um. You know, it's a good pension, and what you know, why shouldn't they? And I thought I've got ten years left of this, or nine years left of this. I don't, I don't need you that. Want I want to go. I wanted to move on because you've got to start from scratch anyway. Then at sort of yeah. thirty eight, whatever. So. Thought I'd come out, looked around for bits and pieces. And I remember talking to an old pal of mine who was working down in London doing pre and post operative spinal rehab um, on Harley Street at the time. And we're having a few beers. And he's like, what you can do? I said, well, I like health. I like people. I'll go into NHS management. And, and he kind of looked at me the way you're looking at me now. And he was like, what are you going to do that for? Um, anyway, a few more beers down the line. And, and sort of, he, he sort of turned around and said, why don't you use your degree? I've got a sport and exercise science degree. 
why don't you use that? You know, come and have a look at what I'm doing. I'm working four days in a tracksuit using a degree. You know, he shared the amount, you know, the sort of a ballpark of the money he was earning. I was like, okay, sign me up. That'll do. Um, <laughs> and and that's that was it. That was a real turning point in my life. And, you know, I took his guidance and it was get into the gyms, get used to working with people, you know, understand people, um, you know, learn when to push them, when to hold them back, you know, learn when they break and learn when they don't. And, you know, I don't mind admitting I've broken, you know, broken a good few over the years. I've fixed up many more, but, you yeah. know, there's been some accidents along the way, um, all with the best of intentions, I hasten to add. Um, and, and so that was the start of the second career, so to speak. And the intention was always to go into spinal rehabilitation. Um, and I really enjoy the intricacies of, of back pain and, the, the, the sort of the nuance of posture, posture and how that works and the degrading of the aging process and how all of that works and you know the differences between a, a disc bulge versus inflammation in the joints of the back um, and all those other bits and pieces and then how you unpick that and put it all back together. Um, unfortunately, so again, I did my personal training stuff, then moved into kind of low back pain in a gym environment and sort of working on that. And I always describe it that my success rate um, in with my clients was at about 60%. You know, if I was a general personal trainer, my success rate would be about 40%. In right. terms of 40% of my clients got the goals they wanted, which basically means you're not winning, you know, you're failing. Yeah. And I, no, it wasn't you that made this comment to me, but it was somebody along the lines turned around and said, you do realize why them achieving their goals is so important to you. And I was like, no, no, why is that? So, well, that's how you win. You know, you used to know, you know, playing rugby, you know, if you win every week, you've either won or lost and yeah. you, you get to deal with it one way or the other. We take that away. And certainly when you take the, you know, you take the hierarchy of the military and the regimentation of all of that way. And, and I remember feeling very lost for a long time, not, not having that structure in my life. So at 40% success, it's not very fulfilling. You don't feel like you're very good at your job. And the reality is it is because you're not very good at your job, but it's also because the people you're working with don't really want anymore. Yeah. They, you know, I, I earned a lot of money out of guilt because people wanted to come in, say they're seeing a personal trainer and then go and do whatever they wanted to do. And yeah. there's still a lot of people out, you know, out there doing that. And, and, you know, there's a living to be earned in some respects, but it didn't fulfill me. So move on to the back pain and very much at that point, looking at um, musculoskeletal, so just the muscles, just the joints, posture, core stability, um, those sorts of things yeah. to address low grade back pain. Results go up to about 60%. You think, okay, well, that's better. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit better at this than I was at, was at the previous lot, yeah. but there's still 40%. And again, my my attitude is always what's next and you know, why doesn't that work and why, you know, I, I ask why a lot. And... Then, fortunately, again, through my pal, um, he put me on to the Czech Institute, um, which is a probably the world's leading corrective exercise institute and holistic health institute. Um, and what the, the head of the institute, a guy called Paul Czech, and again, I, I kind of got in there perhaps four or five years away from the perfect time because in its infancy it was very close it's very intimate you got to know Paul very well and and those those people that were in there in the very early stages that followed it all the way through have become world leaders in their own right yeah. um, I was about four or five years behind that and again with a family so I didn't throw myself into it quite as much as some of those those guys and girls did um, but the knowledge they all have and the mastery of their craft is what just drew me in. You know, these people can sit there, they can talk about high performance strength and conditioning, they can talk about 
you know, I mean, Paul Cech himself has worked with Olympic figure skaters. He's worked with the All Blacks. He's worked with NRL teams, American football teams. You know, musculoskeletal Paul, as I as I sort of um, as I brand him, sort of blows you away. You know, yeah. he's very much gone down the holistic health route and the spirituality route since then. All power to him. He's more than welcome to do that. It's not u- that useful for middle Englanders to kind of reference point. You know, there's a bit too much of a jump away. Um, but musculoskeletal Paul blows anybody out of the water as far as I'm concerned. And the knowledge that he imparted to his students and to pe- particularly the people in the faculty that he built was just just super impressive. And, you know, and I always wanted to be part of that faculty, to be part of the education team. And that may well be a road for me further down the line. Um not because I want to stand up there and wear the badge and all this, but because I want to know my craft as well as they do, you know, and that's what's yeah. impressive. So as part of that process and studying with them, you not only learn about the muscles, the joints, you know, I mean, and you go through the stages and it's about lower back pain, then neck pain, shoulder pain, joint pain, but the holistic health angle then brings in, well, what impact does the digestive system have on lower back pain? What in, and, and so when I started looking at that and started looking at digestion and IBS and Crohn's disease and, um, you know, all, all elements are big or small in terms of digestion. Well, then suddenly 80 percent are improving. You know, oh, it must be something. Or, right. or you get that person in your 40 percent who's not really getting the back pain stability, the permanent long term. Yes. If they do their stretches every day and if they have their massage or they see their chiropractor, you know, on a regular basis, they're OK. But they're not improving long term. They're not putting it in the in the rearview mirror. Yeah. And and so so then when you start to say to them, well, you know, how we, you know, how's your digestion? How's your stomach? And they go, oh, yeah, I do struggle a little bit. And, and again, somebody one of the quotes I picked up over there, you know, is the, the amount of money you earn in your lifetime will be directly linked to the quality of questions you ask. Yeah. And I think that's so true in my line of work because again, when something's not working, the more you've got to ask more questions. Yeah. You've got to ask better questions. So you start asking about digestion and all of a sudden of those 40%, most of them have got digestive issues or that aren't optimal. So you improve those and some of them get better. So you, you, you start, your, your success rate's going up. Um, and then you look, and again, part of the study process is then to look at mental um, and emotional well-being and take elements. There's elements of sort of all different disciplines, um, different medicines, but particularly I... I sort of focused in on the element around traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic medicine. I can never say that word. It's Indian, Indian based. Yeah. Both of which predate Western medicine by at least 2000 years. So again, you know, they've got something to be, to be sort of taken note of. Um, And again, if you look at traditional Chinese medicine, you go in with lower back pain, particularly low, low grade, lower back pain, they'll start talking to you about what's going on in your relationships, what's going on with you as a man or a woman, you know, because if you look at the chakra system, um, which, you know, some people may be aware of, some people might not, then everything to do with the lower back is all around the second chakra, which is to do with, you know, sort of relationships and gender, um, amongst other things. So there's all these interrelationships. And again, we know this because things like um, acupuncture, you know, acupuncturists are widely accepted, well used. They work on these interrelations of joints and organs and systems and energy through what they call the meridians, what are known as the meridian system. Um, And so we're using an element of that with an element of strength and conditioning, with an element of rest, relaxation, rejuvenation, meditation, um, mindfulness, you know, goal setting, nutritional coaching, you know. 
all all these elements um, basically come out of the program that I that I studied on. It's seven year internship mixing between learning here and in the US, um, and have kind of taken me through through my career uh, from that that sort of time in sort of two thousand four two thousand five. And so to sort of I've sort of gone off on a slight tangent there, but basically went into low grade back pain in the in the gym environment then yeah. went into a more clinical environment um and looked at you know sort of working with osteopaths chiropractic physios um a little bit of surgeon stuff not a huge amount of that in all honesty but that wasn't for me it wasn't a team environment it was a very silo mentality and you right. know it's about me and what i can do not what you can bring to the party so yeah. i either didn't find the right team or i didn't find the right place to work um but it wasn't terribly enjoyable as far as i was concerned so came back out um actually pretty much into the, the, the where we're sat now um and and set up on my own and and over the years it's been me with a number of different people um at the, this moment given the the sort of the whole pandemic sort of situation it's people remotely but i've had people working for me over the years with a view to bringing in i'm the center of the hub the way i view it is i'm the center of the hub you okay. know understanding what's going on with the person knowing where we need to put our attention our effort and other bits and pieces delivering what I can and then when it's not good when I can't do something that's good enough we bring somebody else in who can um so so we're in 2021 now so how many years have you been studying Paul Czech uh well yeah I I always describe as a seven it took me seven years to go through the courses I've got one left to do um, and I'm not going to do that until I've absolutely made it and I still don't feel like I've made it so um I need to I'll probably end up redoing them all um and the reason I haven't made it is Quite honestly, I haven't got a waiting list of 50 odd people banging, banging the door down and we're not working at full tilt. So that's okay. when I'll be going. Then when I've nailed. Going over there. There's a lot of, I, my one of my feelings is a lot of people in the health and fitness industry, they're either underqualified and, over, and overworked or they're overqualified and underworked. And I want the best of both. Right. Um, so, so for anybody who wants to look at Paul Check, how do you spell his last name? C H E K. C H E K. Yeah. We'll put a link to his website. Yeah, so checkinstitute.com. Um and, like, and it's it's there and have a look at the website. He's got multiple levels of, of education now. Um and yeah, it, it's again the the basic programs are great. Paul himself, you know, is I'm I'm not mad keen on listening to what he's putting out there at the moment. I go there every now and then, and I really enjoy it. And you know, like I said, I have total respect for the for the man and the individual and what he's left and the legacy he's leaving on this planet. Um, but it's not necessarily where my interests lie, and you know, I've got other interests at the moment. So. Yeah, yeah. He has a podcast. My son Harry came across him mm. and was telling me, "Oh, you've got to listen to this Paul check." And then he was blown away when I said, "Well, I know Jim. Yeah, he's yeah. got that easy. Yeah. You don't do you?" So. Yeah. Now. You you said something really quite interesting. I have I don't it doesn't apply to what you do, but gym membership. Mm-hmm. I did a little study, right? And it turns out only eighteen percent of members of a gym show up at the gym. Yep, right. And I've 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 actually followed this up with my own research, Jim, because right. I I I'm a member of the David Lloyd gym. Yeah, and they. In Litchfield, they've got over 3,000 members. Right. Because I asked, I said, yeah. how many members have you got? And then I went in a locker room mm. and they've got 326 lockers. Yeah. And I said to myself, <laughs> well, hold on a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what if they all showed up? And it's not down to the people in the gym or the gym or anything. It is down to the people. So what's really interesting are your stats. Because actually, based on that, based yeah. on 
how we are. Forty percent mm. is good. Sixty percent is really good, really yeah. good, and eighty percent is really, really, really good. Yeah, yeah. How do you define success? So you said, right? What is it? How do you when you're working with a client? Do they identify what? Yeah. What to say to them is their success ahead. What so before I, I will even start working with somebody. Before we, you know, before we even agree whether we're going to work together, we have a sort of onboarding process. And the, one of those, one of the, the big questions on that is, what do you want? What does winning look like? Yeah. What is success to you? And the answer that is not acceptable is, oh, I want to be a bit healthier. Or, I want to be a bit fitter. Or I want to be, I want to sleep a bit better. I have a bit more because you can't measure that. And you know, the human brain is a terrible thing at telling you you were all you could be better, yeah. or or forgetting how bad things were. Um, so every client sits down and we have it documented that this is what winning looks like at, on day one, and that can change, but it's you know it's really important to know. And then the second question, which is a hundred percent critical in you know the vast hundred percent critical in my, in the success we get, and the reason for that is because. The biggest thing we do actually here is behavioural change. We change people's behaviours around their health. Um, and so, again, you know, whilst you were setting up, you heard me chuckle. Somebody had, had emailed somebody me I know had, had sort of emailed me and said, I hate exercise and I don't have the time to be consistent and I'll fall out with you if you shout at me. Do you think we can work together? <laughs> <laughs> Which I just thought was so, brilliant. You know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, and the, and the answer to that is I hate exercise, not a problem. Okay. And again, I'm sure we'll get onto why that's not a problem. Um, you don't need to exercise to be healthy. Okay. Um, you need to exercise if you want to be fit, but you don't need to exercise if you want to be healthy. Um, and, um, and then secondly, um, what was, what was, oh, what was I saying? Don't shout at me. Don't shout at me. That's fine. I don't shout at anybody. Okay. I do a nice cheeky little bit of guilt every now and then. Yeah. Um, and, and so the, the, the point from that is that, you know, if we understand, oh, that's right, I don't have time to be consistent. And it's like, you've got time to be consistent. You just don't want to be consistent because it doesn't matter enough. And that can be fine. And that's a question I ask people, you know, before, um, you know, before we go in. And again, I ask them to, to you know, grade their motivation on a scale of one to 10. If they don't go above a certain score, which I'm not telling, I'm not putting, <laughs> putting out there, yeah. we don't go any further because there's no point because they won't, value what I'm doing and they won't get those results but the big thing in the middle is they're going to know why it matters you know if 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 that individual wants um wants to improve their back and lose a bit of weight you know why what is it about your life right now that is not good enough that you want to invest and you know minimum six months and you know the money it's going to cost in order to change it why is that going to matter? Because if it doesn't matter enough, the best thing that person can do for themselves is not do it. Yeah. Because otherwise you're just going to fail and nobody likes failing. Nobody likes spending time, money and effort to not get the result they think they're going to get. And so, the, you know, the reason why is, we, you know, we don't work with everybody. We're not for everybody. Um, we're for people who've got a real, a real problem that is bothering them enough to make a commitment. And that's all they need. They don't need... You know, it doesn't need to be a massive problem. It just needs to be enough to make them commit to making those changes and yeah. to be willing to take the advice and follow the plans. Yeah. There's an old story I've I come across about um, about a dog. It's in America. Yeah, lying on a nail. On the porch on the nail and it's howling, you know. And so said, true. Yeah, why does your dog keep howling? He said, well, he's lying on a nail. Why doesn't he get off the nail? It doesn't hurt him enough. <laughs> doesn't hurt enough. And, mm -hmm. if, and that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's absolutely. 
So that human beings will only ever move for two reasons, away from pleasure or towards pain. Wrong. Wrong, away from, we, yeah. wrong way around. <laughs> away well, from, there might be some human beings that do that. Yeah, actually, well, but. yeah. Well, well, yeah, I mean, it takes all sorts of a broad church. But no, um, you know, you'll move away from pain or towards pleasure. And equally, the pain of moving, because again, changing behavior is, is difficult. Yeah. The easiest thing is to carry on doing what you've always done. Okay. But the pain of moving away from where you are now also has to be less than the pain you're experiencing. Yeah. Because you, otherwise you won't do it. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, it's really important to understand that that sort of that side of things um, to make sure that whatever you're going to do, um, you know, you you know, you do the right thing and it's going to work. Absolutely. So I'd love to come back rather than leave it, because I've got um, I've got a bit of a list in my head of other things I'm going to ask you. What you just said about you don't have to be fit to be healthy. You can mm. be healthy. Would you just sort of. Going to a little bit more depth because yeah. that's gonna. I remember you speaking at network events, and I think one thing that puts people off is that vision of, oh my god, you know, I've got to get up at five in the morning, I've got to do so many of these and that and reps, and then you know, it's going to be like torture. Mm. And you have a way of just putting it that makes them feel relaxed. And I know you've worked with a lot of people who, you know, I've seen the testimonials. They've they've never succeeded mm. with or without a support personal trainer or without the personal trainer with the dvds mm. all this we've got access to information but they've never succeeded till they met you mm. so talk us through that that because that's quite profound health and yeah health and, and so and again i it's I, it's meant to be a little bit provocative and a little bit and again i don't apologize for that because mo the vast majority of the general population think if they're going to get healthy they've got to live on lettuce and and mung beans or whatever and they've got to get themselves to the gym and get hot and sweaty and do that three, four, five times a week, every week for the rest of their lives. That is simply not true. A healthy human being is a balanced human being. And, you know, a lot of the things that make us unhealthy, so weight gain, for instance, that is a symptom of an imbalance. Now, on a very basic level, it's more calories going in than are going out. OK, it's a lot more complicated than that, but that's a really good way of explaining it. Um you know, uh, poor posture or bad sleep, you know, is just a symptom of imbalance. You know, every balanced, healthy human being sleeps well. They don't carry excess weight. OK, they move perfectly well. And, you know, and they generally got a smile on their face. That's yeah. how we come into this world. That's how, you know, indigenous populations exist. So what we're doing in so-called civilized society is creating probably the least healthy human beings we've ever had on the planet. Right. You know, we're the most evolved species on the planet. We're also the sickest. And and so my view is that the human body needs to move. It doesn't need to exercise. So, again, we use a principle uh, which, again, has come out of, of uh, actually it stems from um, Hippocrates' day. Now, Hippocrates, who is considered the grandfather of modern medicine, for all his renown, only is only as I understand it, only used about 40 herbs and spices with his patients. Right. But what he did is he taught he coached them to find balance in their lives with what he called their three doctors Dr. Diet, Dr. Quiet, and Dr. Happiness. Yeah. And what for all his renown by using that model and some supplementation or medicine as, as it would now be called, um, he managed to create you know the renown for which he's still known for. Now, again, Paul Cech has taken this and evolved it into a four doctors model, 
because as we are now sat down recording this, human beings today spend far too much time sat down. Yep. Okay, So we now have doctor movement in there as well. So it is my belief that you can be healthy as long as you balance those four doctors. And the beauty of a holistic or four doctor approach to health is that you don't have to be really good at any one of them. Or if you're really bad at one of them, so I hate exercise, well, just be a bit better at all the other three. And you can you can you can sort of balance the books, so to speak, that way. So you know, it, as long as you're moving, then actually you can be healthy. And you know, because there are so many other areas that you can do to boost your health, that you know you can sort of overcome and sort of you know um, compensate, compensate for that lack of exercise. So could you talk us through those four doctors? Because yep. when we met and we've had a number of conversations and we worked together that's that was one of the most intriguing things to me and very very valid and important yeah so as i said there's four doctors um, there's dr movement dr diet dr quiet and dr happiness um and uh generally start off explaining it with dr movement so again it's about creating human bodies that move well okay and starts with posture um, we look at you know you've got to look at good posture posture is a position from which movement begins and ends so if you can't um, if you can't start in a good position you've got very little chance of ending up in a good position and uh, and so yeah. on and so forth so and then it's about creating regular movement patterns and and again that can bring in things as simple as you know parking at the other end of the car park or you know yeah. getting off the bus a couple of stops so all those things you know there's very little I bring to the health and fitness programs of my clients there's, there's a few bits and pieces in there that are powerful unique and different but there's very few that isn't available like you said you know there's the information is widely widely available at the moment you know and i think i think you may have come up with this quote to me or somebody has you know information is there for everybody for transformation you need somebody who knows what they're talking about and that's a you know a big sort of that's difference. not my quote but i'm gonna nick is that not your quote like it's a good one isn't it so yeah yeah so yeah. you know it's not about information it's about transformation and and so with Dr. Movement, it's about starting from a good posture. It's about getting good movement patterns. And the human body only moves in seven ways. Okay. Right. It squats, it bends, it lunges, it pulls, it pushes, it, um, and it twists. There's only six, I think, there. I've probably missed one out. Um, but, um, but that's all it does. So, and again, from an exercise point of view, if you're, unless you are training for something specific, you just need to hit those movement patterns and make sure you're exercising in a good way for that and making sure that your posture when you're exercising is good right. so that it's enhancing your ability to move as a human being, you know, rather than anything else. Um, you know, the thing that makes no sense at all is people who are just looking for general health and well-being going in and following a triathlete's training program or a bodybuilder's training program or anything along those lines because they're training for different things and you are only fit for what you train for. You know, and we all know this and you can go you know, the Olympics as and when they come about, you know, there's no way would you put the marathon runners in the 100 meter sprint Yeah, because they won't win. Yeah. OK, um, because they're not trained and they're not fit for that and vice versa. Um, so, you know, and you look at it in swimming, you know, breaststrokers are breaststrokers. They don't do butterfly, generally speaking. You know, the old exceptions do. So you're only fit for what you train for. So and again, if you're training for general life, you need to train for general life, not for, you know, running a 10K or, or something along those lines. Uh -huh. So doctor movement is all about moving well, you know, and creating good movement patterns 
there needs to be an element of strength there, um, particularly because over the age of 35, we lose 2% of our muscle mass every single year, unless you do something to correct it. So we are getting weaker. We all know we get weaker as we get older. You, you, know, yeah. you only got to look at your, 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 the older generation to see that. Um, but you can do something about it, you know, and it is reversible. It is something you can fight. And again, a lot of our clients end up, you know, it, it becomes fighting the aging process. And can I be as fit at, you know, 45 or 55 as I was at 45 and, yeah. and so on and so forth. Um, so that really covers doctor movement in there. I'm, I'm sort of selling it really quite short because in there, again, because of the corrective exercise and the high performance element of the studies from the Czech Institute, I do consider myself to be an, a, a core stability snob, um, a slash nerd in that, Core stability is so much more than what most people know and most people sort of um, and sort of accept and work on and other and bits and pieces. And and actually, whilst I think about it, here's a bit of research I'll give you to go and do. Yeah. The fitness industry sees more people per week than either GPs or potentially the entire NHS. Wow. Imagine if that was any good. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if, if they had a 40% success rate. Yeah. Or even, you know, God forbid, a 70, 80% success rate. Yeah. What impact could the health and fitness industry do to society if that were the case? If That's they just, if everybody that was working with somebody just went, are you getting the results you need? Are you the best per version of yourself or a better version of yourself? As opposed to just taking the money. As opposed to just taking the money. And again, yeah. you're working with people who don't necessarily want to do it. They want to give you the money and, and then go down. And, you know, and we had it at Fitness First. There was a cake shop directly underneath it. I would walk out of my sessions having seen somebody moaning that they hadn't lost any weight, tuck it into cakes straight after the session. So you know, there's nothing I can do. It doesn't matter how good I am no. if that's their behaviour. But that's comes back to their why and the fact that their why they don't know what the why is. What's yeah. the why for going to the gym? Actually, they do know what the why is. The why for the gym is to go here. You go here's my money. I'll, I'll suffer for an hour, two hours, three hours, however many times a week because then I can go and have that cake. <laughs> <laughs> Take and, that box. Exactly. And uh, do you know what? Fair enough. If that's what they want to do, it's their life and they're, in, they're entitled to it. I don't enjoy working with people like that. So fortunately now I don't have to. Um, so that's that's sort of doctor movement. And, and yeah. so, yeah, so like I said, there's a lot more in it. But doctor diet then comes about obviously how you fuel your body. But it's not only what you put in your mouth, it's how your body absorbs that. You know, one of, one of the things I'm very focused on is what they call the microbiome, which is your digestive system and how your, the bacteria and the, the parasites and the fungus that's, that are in there, yep. meant to be in there anyway. Um, again, nice little, nice little thing I always, I always ponder on when I can't get to sleep is we've got six times more bacteria and fungus in our guts than we've got human cells. Therefore, That's a nice thought, isn't it? Jim? Isn't it? Well, it's better than counting sheep. Well, it? exactly. Count so, <laughs> so the question then is: Are we all humans with a fungal and bacterial overgrowth, or are we actually fungus and bacteria having a human experience? Oh, <laughs> so you know, you can have a think on that. Oh but my, yes. uh, you know, so but but the point is, this is a living organism inside us. It's you know. Uh, I think it, somebody said it weighs five pounds in weight. So it's two and a half kilograms of weight inside your digestive system that is there to absorb the food you put into it and make it useful to you. Wow. So, and I've been in the situation, which is probably why it resonates with me so much, is that I was spending a fortune eating high quality food. You know, I'd studied it. I was eating the right macronutrient ratios, eating the healthiest I could. 
and I was still puffy. I'd got, and I still had my rugby body and probably my, my semi-professional rugby body, not my full-time body. Mm-hmm. And my full-time body wasn't that good, you know. But so, and then, so the question is, why? What's going on? And again, I, I remember to this day ringing up my pal who put me on this path in the first one. Look, I need to do something because if I can't get me looking better, I can't sell it to other people. I'm a fraud. Yeah. You know, so what do I need to do? And the answer, his answer was go and work with one of his pals who fortunately now, you know, is is a pal of mine and a bit of a mentor for me. Um, she is a world leader in fungus, parasites and digestive health and other bits and pieces. And, you know, 18 months later, I, I actually had dropped to the lowest weight. Of, I think it was about 14 stone three, 14 stone four. I've got a picture of myself and my head looks ridiculously big. <laughs> you know, I just look way too small for my own body. But, you know, as a, as a, as a you know, but also by doing that, we were testing, we were lab testing, we were looking at the, the bacteria in this microbiome. And, and, and then it sort of, and actually what that did was reverse food allergies. So I'd got allergies when I started, which actually now I no longer have. I've, you know, I've been able to re, you right. know, reverse those. And so there's a lot of work on intolerances. I work on intolerances, elimination diets as part of the doctor diet work. Um, but they are reversible, although it takes an awful lot of effort to get to the point where you reverse it. But again, one of the central tenets of things I believe is the... Um, the human body can heal itself from a, an awful lot of things. You know, I can't say everything, of course, but there are the vast majority of ailments that we see. If you get good nutrition into a healthy, a healthy receptacle, i.e., your body, the power of the body is is phenomenal um, and blows me away time and time again. Um, so, and that is, and that's one of the secrets to what we do is actually we just allow the body to do what it wants to do. Yeah. Um, 90% of all ongoing health concerns have no specific onset, all right? They don't have a specific you know, injury or accident or other bits and pieces. And that can be um, IBS and digestive issues as much as it can be mental health issues or physical injuries, yeah. which means it's something you're doing to yourself, yeah. either through repetition or through you know choices, some maybe through deliberately or whatever, but it's something you're doing to yourself. So very simply put, when you stop doing that and you give the body the right tools, the right movement, the right rest, the right relaxation, the right motivation, it sorts itself out. Yeah, It doesn't need a lot of help along the way. That makes sense, doesn't it? But mm. we don't always, um, you know, common sense is not that common, is it? No. Winston Churchill <laughs> says so. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, that's interesting. Now on the nutrition. So the goal, I think, of our conversation for me and, and for listeners hopefully is to help them with their why why it's important to move why it's important to yep. focus on nutrition and we'll come on to the other two doctors as well uh, they can obviously reach out to you for help but of course do yeah. their own research as well we'll put your details on i remember you there's a couple of things i want to talk about the the effect of the the um microbiome bio, microbiome with regard the recent research been done about around COVID, yep. you mentioned to me the other day. Mm. And the other is you talked about the indigenous population, sort of people living in extreme cold, people living somewhere else, yep. around consumption of fat or protein and anything. So, because research has been done on that, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can and you again, sort of enlighten us on yeah, those two? Yeah, absolutely. So let's, let's do the diet thing first. And so I'm sure listeners out there... Um, will have tried this diet or that diet or the other and and yeah. the you know and I am stereotyping here but you know and, and sharing diets is much more a female trait than a male trait. Yeah. Okay. So within a female group, you know, if one if one person has, you know, gets on a diet and has great results, then you know, 
other other girlfriends will will sort of jump on it as well. The likelihood of them having the the same success rate is about thirty three percent. Right. And the reason for that is there is no one diet on this planet that will suit everybody. Right. Okay. We all need to understand what is right for us. And it also gives you an explanation as to why you can have on one end of the spectrum, you've got Atkins and the keto diet, which are very high protein, very high fat, very low carbohydrate. Um, and then you've got other, you know, sort of um, the Cambridge diet, the soup diet, you've got veganism, you've got vegetarianism um, on the other end of the spectrum. And both can claim that the best thing is sliced bread. Yeah. And because of certain regulations and other things, they can't be lying. So they've got the validity to their claims, but equally, you may try one and I'll try the other, and we'll get you know different results. So, and actually, we knew this way back in um, the the early nineteen thirties, and there was a dentist on the Eastern Seaboard, New York area of of America, um, called Western A. Price, and he was. Um, noting in his patients, and bear in mind at that time, only the wealthy had dentists, you know, because they're the only people that could afford it. He noted in his patients an increasing amount of dental deformity. Yes, um, rotting of teeth and, and fillings and things, teeth falling out, but also changes in what we call the craniofacial element. Um, and, and basically, the, your, your face is designed to be you know, um, built in, in thirds. So the first third from the chin to the, the bottom of the nose, the second from the bottom of the nose to the bridge, and then the one from the, the bridge up to your hairline. Um, and he was noticing changes in this and also changes in jaw structure and other bits and pieces, which, again, if you think to modern day, and I've got my kids are now uh, 15 and 13, and they will both have braces. I had braces as a child. I was rare. They're in the majority now. Yeah. So and again, that's not normal. You know, we should be asking ourselves why? Why are children in today's society needing dental work to re to get their jaws to develop the way they are they have done for millennia? You know, what is it about our life that you know the way we're living that's creating that? And so anyway, uh, Western A. Price back in the nineteen thirties was noting all of this and. Again, he also, again, if you if you imagine an affluent person, 1930s America, again, slightly, if you like, behind the times from, you know, sort of uh, late 1800s in the, U, in, in the UK and in Europe. And at that point, you know, wealth was personified by obesity. You know, the, you know, right. the whiter you were, ironically, the whiter you were and the more obese you were, the wealthier you were. You know, the whiteness was interesting because you had people to go outside and do the work for you. Yeah. So it was only the poor who went outside to work, the wealthy stayed inside. Um, and but equally, you know, the um, you know, so and when the you know, when that migrated over to America, interestingly, the indigenous Americans used to describe it as white man's poison, and that was white flour, white sugar, um, white salt, um, and oh, there's one more, I keep forgetting, I always slip my mind on this white sugar, white flour, white salt. Um, and dairy and yeah. white dairy yeah. um, which they never ate um, and again there have been some really interesting studies um, by uh, a chap called Roger Williams um, over the years who's looked at the impact of indigenous populations when they bring in these imported foods and they move them away from their imported foods and what they find is these sort, the same sort of dental deformities that Western A. Price was seeing come within two generations um, there's some really cool, cool and interesting pictures, not necessarily nice for the individuals, but, you know, as to how this how this sort of, de you know, causes deterioration yeah. in the in the health of the tribe and the health of the people. So 
Weston A. Price was a relatively wealthy, came from a wealthy background, and he was able to, he basically decided to give up sort of his practice dentistry and travelled the globe studying indigenous populations and their health and their diet and their nutrition. And he started off with the Quechus Indians on the equators in Mexico. Um, and again, these are the people, again, if you've ever, I know you, I think you've read Born to Run, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, those, yeah, and they strap tires onto their feet, get ridiculously pissed the night before. And as soon as sun comes up, they run, run yeah. and they just keep running, you know, and they do that into their 80s and 90s. Um, and so we started looking at, at that, them as a tribe and saw that they, um, they, you know, they had a diet that was very low in protein, very lean proteins. All the animals that grazed around naturally were quite lean, quite small, yeah. um, had a high proportion of fruit and vegetables and a high proportion of um, vegetable oils in their diet. Um, and so looked at that and went, well, that works. That's a healthy diet. Yeah. Looked at their health. Indigenous populations don't have a word for cancer. They don't understand strokes. They don't, um, you know, they, and so, and yet they're fit and healthy. They're working, you know, they're active. Yeah. These guys are running into their, their 80s and 90s. And perfect craniofacial development as well. Teeth fit properly, no jaw issues, you know, also, you know, no sort of um, asthma issues or congestion issues or anything like that. So healthy diet, healthy tribe, perfect, works well. Fortunately, he didn't stop there. And he ended up on the polar ice caps. And in the polar ice caps, he looked at the Inuits and again found a perfectly healthy tribes people. Perfect craniofacial development, no asthma, no congestion problems, teeth developing well, very little need for fillings. You know, he'd have been out of a job in, yeah. with, with that, that group. No word for cancer, you know, no coronary heart disease. Seasonal affective disorder was just not a thing despite spending however many months of the year in there um, in the darkness. And then he looked at their diet and their diet is 95% meat and blubber. The only vegetables the Inuits were getting at that time was the seaweed they could harvest from under the sea ice in the, in the sort of two or three summer months yeah. or from the stomach of the whales that they caught. And that was it. So you've from got... The stomach of the whales. Yeah, the stomach of the whales, yeah. Right. So, um, and there you have two variants of the same species, human beings, eating polar opposite diets but are both equally healthy and from that um, again Roger Williams coined the phrase of biochemical individuality we know we're genetically unique we all accept that but we are all biochemically unique and we are somewhere on a spectrum from being a full-on polar polar Eskimo to being a full-on equatorial Indian and what we do with clients is we take them through that process it's now called metabolic typing um, and we take them through that process to find where they sit. Right. And I describe it to them as we're going to get you in the right postcode. Yeah. We might then get you in the right house, sorry, in the right street. And then if we need to, we'll get you in the right house because we can be that specific on it. Wow. I don't remember the last time we needed to put somebody in the right house barely in the right street you get them into the right postcode you get the body you know and it's it's about macronutrient ratios so proteins fats carbohydrates how do you eat you know you know and how, what does your body most suited to the again as if, if you want me to generalize if you are thicker set if you struggle with your weight you are almost certainly eating way too many carbohydrates. Yeah. Um, and you need to bring your carbohydrates down, bring your healthy fats up and make sure you've got protein at every meal source. If you are relatively lean, okay, you're probably more of a, an Indian 
um, a sort of you know a sort of Mexican Indian type, um, an equatorial type, and you're probably not carrying a huge amount of weight anyway, so you're not a million miles um, away from what is advised by what they call the eat well plate, okay, which I do have a major issue with, um, but uh, which is what um, the state dictates we should do is what all our kids are taught is a healthy diet and, and other bits and pieces like that so um and that's what we do nutritionally so we we take them through those those sort of three postcodes you've either a polar type you're an equatorial type or a variable type um and when you get people into eating the right way on that the weight just balances yeah i i've from because of what i do i like trying diets out yeah and experimenting on myself and it reminds me of the blood group diet where you identify your blood group and mm. you can see where we originated from, you know, by the sea, fish eaters, exactly. Arctic and yeah. wherever. Yeah. And um, so that resonates with that. Yeah, so, so there's going to be common themes. I'm not, I haven't in-depthly looked at all of that, but yeah. it's, uh, um, so so that you know, that's the, um, the, the nutritional side of things. Now, again, it's not just as simple as macronutrient ratios. You've got to look at inflammation from foods that don't agree with people. Um, you've got to look at when people are eating. You've got to look at food quality. That's a big issue as well. Yeah. Um, however, again, back in the day, I used to really push clients on the food quality and we'd be all about organic food and we'd be all about this, that and the other. What I found is the better I've got at creating balance with all four doctors, yeah the less important that's become. And that's not because I don't, I no longer believe in um, food quality and organic farming. I very much do, but it's an expense and not everybody can afford that. And the worst thing I can do as a coach is to tell somebody they've got to eat something they can't afford Yeah. because the stress that creates will trump any improvements I can create. Yeah. It's um, like you said, it is, there's a reason behind yeah. you know, that. Yeah. And I always remember you saying that you lose weight in the kitchen, not in the gym. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah. and so we're saying, not one diet fits all. and nope. You can establish which one works best. Um, talk us through the thing you mentioned to me about um, the microbiome and COVID. Yeah, really, really interesting. I mean, you know, COVID, nobody's got away with it, have they? Everybody's mm. been affected, um, and on a professional level the opportunity to learn for, for anybody involved in healthcare has been immense because it's something none of us have seen before. We, you know, back, where, you know, where, where are we now? We're sort of end of April, beginning of May. Um, you know, 14 months ago, we haven't got a clue how to treat it, you know, and, and, uh, and the medics and the doctors, the nurses, the research scientists have all done a phenomenal job in, in helping us keep people alive um, who have suffered with this. But... Again, it's interesting and again, it is somewhat contentious um, in that there are certain sections of society which have been very heavily hit by it. And, and again, every life is, is tragic and they have loved ones and uh, you know who will feel that loss. But there are also other sections that aren't affected by it and we don't know why, you know, and they, and they, will, they will have a reaction. It will be a relatively mild reaction. Um, and, and in that case then, you know, they're not at death's door. Yeah. Um, so why do some groups of population have a very significant reaction and why, does, why do others not? And again, back in the early days, viral load was thought to be the most significant factor. As I understand it now, it's still a significant factor, but there are many others coming into it. And one that caught my eye, which was initially put out there by Michael Mosley, the 5-2 the guy, oh, yeah. um, um, was to do with the health of the microbiome. And... 
it's I kind of wish we were recording this a couple of weeks ago before India had gone but you know sort of unfortunately you know so so bad um, but what we are seeing is that though cases in poorer countries India Africa you know the two that I've I've sort of I've looked at and seen and again my as we sit here today my knowledge isn't up to date on their numbers because obviously things have gone gone pear-shaped for them unfortunately um, but what we did see was cases were still really high in those in those countries and on, on the continent of Africa but death rates were less. You know, I think the UK's death rate is about 10%. Okay. Right. Um, 10% of cases um, uh, sort of, you know, unfortunately have been a bit of re- have resulted in deaths. Um, and again, that, that may be changed because obviously the, the, the numbers yeah. are changing daily. But in Africa and in India, it's much lower than that. And one of the working hypotheses that is, that is being put out there is that that is because of the, the breadth and the variability of their microbiome. So 60% of your immune system comes from your gut. Again, if you think about it, your gut is actually outside your body. Okay, because you've got a hole at one end and a hole at the other end. Right. It's a hollow tube all the way through. Right. Okay. So, you know, it's theoretically outside your body. Um, and so actually what the microbiome does and what the, there's something called the sigatry IgA barrier, okay, which is basically a mucous membrane, which runs all the way from your gums right the way through your body, right the way through down into your to your to your anus. Yeah. Again, I need to double check, but I'm pretty sure it also runs through into the lungs to a degree as well. And those are critical elements to human immunity and human health. And they are eroded, particularly the, the Sig A barrier and the microbiome by sugar, by alcohol, by stress, by caffeine, by processed foods by all the things we're doing in in the civilized or the western world whereas you know less wealthy populations don't have it as access to that yeah, of course, yeah. they get more you know they don't live in such a cleansed environment and therefore the the net result of that is their natural immunity is that much greater because also it has to be for their survival you know we go back right the way back to darwinism and survival of the fittest you know, in, you know, in sort of rural populations in those countries, it is survival of the fittest. So, you know, those people who naturally look after their microbiome over there, pass that on to their children, they do better um, and they, they sort of work on that. So it's an, an interesting angle that's coming out. It's one I'm, I could very much foresee being relevant and having a, a sort of role to play. Um, and one I'm, sort of using we you know we we developed a, a product a six-week online product last year to do with in improving the microbiome to do with addressing that yeah. with a direct correlation to um to covid and to sort of help people give themselves something they can do in the face of covid we've obviously now got the vaccine um but again the you know the vaccine doesn't cover everything there's questions about the mutations whereas if your microbiome's strong it doesn't really matter at the moment, as far as we know, what what variant comes at you. You're more equipped to more deal with it. To deal with it. Um, so so yeah, that's what I know at the moment. Um, I think it's really interesting. I think there's some really we're going to learn so much more about COVID. Um, uh, we're, it's not going away. Um, we'll have to live with it. Um, and the healthier you can be, the better chance you're going to have if as and when you come into it. Brilliant. So. What, what do you call that course? Because I'll put a link online as so well. So we've got two. Uh, the one we're running at the moment through the summer is called the Rocket Fueled Health Kick. Yeah. Um, it still has an address uh, and an angle and we do look at the microbiome and we do um, a sort of very small gut transformation protocol on that yeah. over a six-week period. Yeah. So that's a Rocket Fueled Health Kick. Yeah. Uh, we also then have the, uh, the Immune System Boot Camp. 
um, which we probably won't launch again now until the autumn um, when sort of bugs and you know I'd, I'm imagining there might be an up an up an uplift in in a need to um, to sort of you know up people's immunity as we go through the autumn. If you can send me the details of those, I'll yes, put them on the, absolutely. On the yeah, I mean they're all on our website. So, but yeah, I'll I'll send you the web page links on those. And so we've done two doctors. We've yep. got happiness and quiet. Yep. So I don't know which order you want to do them in. So um, Doctor Quiet then is is all about your rest, your rejuvenation strategies, your recovery strategies. Um, you know, we all know it's not all work. You know, it can't be all work and no play. Um, equally, you know, you have to rest at the same time. Uh, and then there's, there's sort of the big one with Doctor Quiet is sleep. Um, yeah. and, and, and it's really about getting good quality night's sleep. Um, again, I, I upset a lot of people when I tell them they absolutely have to sleep between the hours of 10 or 10.30 and 6 or 6.30. Um, we rise and fall against the moon or with the sun. Okay, our, We are hardwired to do that. The moon controls all of the oceans, the tides and all of the oceans on, on the planet. And the human body is between 60 and 70 percent water, depending on which studies you, you know, you, you look at. So if it controls an ocean, it sure as hell controls you. you what know? a good point. Yeah. You know, um, and so and, and actually sleep is broken down into two areas. The first four hours is your physiological repair cycle. The second four hours is your psychological repair cycle. So again, people come to me with repetitive health concerns. I'm not getting better. I'm not getting better. And I go to bed at 12 o'clock at night. Well, you're only half as recovered in the morning as you should be. So every day you're losing 50% of your ability to regenerate your body. And the body needs to regenerate overnight anyway. That's what it is designed to do. Uh, you you know you need to make sense you know that we all you know you need to make you know repair the the blood cells in your you know that have sort of fractured um, as happens naturally you know the damage to muscle tissue that movement creates let alone exercise or working out so this happens naturally you know the the uh, the liver is at its optimal time in you know, between the hours of one and three at night. So again, when you look at people who are waking up between one and three, okay, the liver might have something to do with that. And again, that's very much a, a homeopathic approach um, to, to sort of human health. Kidneys, I think, are eleven to one. I might be wrong on that, but uh, so again, the organs have time where they take take priority and they need to rejuvenate and recover. And if you're staying awake till, you know, I'm, oh, I'm a night owl, I don't need to go to sleep, yep. you know. And many, many people do that. And I think the reason they do that and get away and think, well, number one is they don't get away with it because it catches up with them later on. But um, the reason they think they can get away with it is because what they are doing is they're getting their four hours of psychological repair. Right. So the brain is fully refreshed, but the body is not. So each and every day they're working, up, they're waking up with a brain that's 100% refreshed because they've slept from two till six, you know. But their body's still still compromised from the day before. Wow. And so that's, that's accelerating the aging process. That's accelerating the degeneration of the body and, and limiting its ability to recover. And as I said earlier, you know, the, the sort of the, the secret I don't like too many people to know is that actually the body does all our hard work. We just make sure the client gets out of the way and lets it do it. Um, what a good point. And one other way of doing that is getting to bed on time, sleeping yeah. well, sleeping in a dark room, not putting mobile phones next to your, you know, next to your head, you know, limiting, you know, limiting that, getting as, as natural a night's sleep as you possibly can, um, which again, you know, goes right back to the very beginning of, you know, let's get back to basics, get back to nature. Yeah. In a modern day environment, you know, I like I like my mobile phone as much as most people. I, you know, I enjoy the traps of modern day living, but you know, what can you do to stay? stay in touch with nature and that your body needs 
Really what degree. I, I study longevity, as I think you might know. I've set a goal to <laughs> live forever or die trying. <laughs> um, but uh, it is about extending your health span. And without exception, all the books I'm reading, all the podcasts I listen to and books I listen to, sleep is the number one. You know, if there's mm. one thing you can do, yeah. they say sleep, and then nutrition comes next, actually. Mm. Yeah. But sleep is, is yeah. number one. So sleep and then, you know, Stress and relaxation is, is crucially important. You know, yeah. stress comes in so many different guises. You know, we are designed to resist a certain amount of stress. You know, only you have good stressors and bad stressors. Gravity is a stressor on the body. It's quite a good one. It's quite useful. You know, we'd be a Stops little bit... floating away. Exactly. We'd be a little bit limited without it. Um, and so, so you know, there are good and bad stressors. Exercise is a stressor. You know, too much exercise is a bad stressor. Too little exercise is a bad stressor. Just about right is a good one. Um, sunlight is a good stressor. Um, you know, too much of it, though, is not good for you. Yeah. You know, it's why, you know, seasonal affective disorder is a thing because we don't get enough sunlight, okay, um, during, the, during the winter. Um, so there's good and bad stressors around. And, but equally, then, there is the mental stress of of what we you know, what we relate to as stress in this day and age, um, we've all experienced a huge amount of it recently over the last sort of twelve months. Whether that's with finances because work is not where it should be or needs to be or has been shut down or you know whatever relationship stress, worrying about losing loved ones, um, worrying about your kids. You know, are they in school? Are they doing well enough? You know, are they home at night? Or, you know, there's lots of so there's the stressors which I refer to more as load. And then there's mental stress and anxiety, but that mental stress and anxiety puts a load on the body. Right. Okay. And you've got to make sure the body can carry that load, and that actually you're doing enough to help the body carry that load. And as I said, um, I've said a few times now, the good thing with a, a truly holistic four doctor approach to health is that actually what you can do is you can keep that four pronged seesaw, if you like, as yeah. balanced as possible. Um, so with Dr. Quiet, then we also then look at ways of unwinding yourself. So yep. whether that be meditation, whether that be mindfulness, whether that be reading, whether that be, um, you know, socializing with people. Um, one of my favorites is non-essential mental activity. OK, things that you can do and switch your brain off. So for me, it's mowing the lawns. I love mowing lawns. Yep. OK, um, uh, it might be things like ironing. You know, again, you can turn ironing into a non-essential mental activity. It doesn't need a, you can get lost in the moment. Yeah crochet cross stitch knitting you know a lot of those things can be can be sort of you know they don't take a lot of brain power so you can unwind and, and sort of take a load off that way and that that helps to boost your rest and relaxation strategies right. from that um you can make exercise rejuvenating you know there's a you know there's so th there's a way of when you're you can either work out or you can work in and okay. the same exercise can be a workout or a work in. The critical factor, there's a few of them, but the critical factor is whether your mouth goes dry. As soon as your mouth goes dry, you're working out and you're loading your fight or flight response. So what we're getting into here is the the reaction your autonomic nervous system has. Now your autonomic nervous system is is one of the key controlling nervous systems in the body. There's two branches to it, the parasympathetic and the sympathetic. Yeah. Sympathetic is your fight and flight response. The parasympathetic is your repair and digest. Right. Fight and flight is on generally waking hours. Okay, you're more sympathetic and you've always got a bit of both going on. It's yeah. never on or off. Um, so perhaps generally would tend to be more sympathetic during waking hours 
more sim- more parasympathetic during sleeping hours. Yeah. Um, and it's about the balance between the two. Um, so if you are having a a very stressful period of your life, but you still want to go to the gym, then again, you just go and you work in. So you would do the same workout you do, but you just make sure you don't work so hard that you get dry in the mouth. Right. Um, which actually is ridiculously difficult to do. You know, to do a basic squat and not get dry in the mouth is really quite hard. Right. Um, you have to go really slow and you have to breathe really deep and breathe, uh, you know, really well. And it, and it's possible. But that just go. but you're still moving the body. You're still, you know, because what the body move, needs is movement. It needs to pump, it needs to pump the fluid, the, the lymphatic fluid, the cerebral spinal fluid that's in and around your, your, your sort of spinal cord and your brain. It needs to pump the organs. You know, they get massaged by movement. So you can get all of that benefit by working in as much as you can from working out. Um, but you don't get the load on the body. And that therefore the need to sort of you know create all the repair that goes on afterwards. So that it's a sort of overview of Doctor Doctor Quiet. Um, okay. I that's probably an area I get people to access external things much more. I've got yeah. quite a lot of people in the mindfulness sphere that I would bring in to sort of do sort of you know. Um, and you know sort of provide tapes for people to sort of listen to they've got the headspace app of course yeah. which is out there there's there's many many others um but then there's there's you know i think dr quiet if you get to bed on time if you and there's lots of things you can do for yourself and that, that's probably one of the easier ones um to do on that so you know that that sort of you know dr quiet is is relatively easy to get people in place um really really important the more stressed or the more load somebody is carrying and that could be single mother with three kids could be a stay-at-home mum with you know one child it, it's all per you know it could be a, a man high pro high job you know, you know middleweight it doesn't matter yeah. what profile of person that is it's how they um it's how they experience it and what what it means to them yeah. and what they're doing we've um i interviewed a chap called paul gandry i should introduce to you actually on for episode 20 mm-hmm. and we talked a lot about mindfulness and watchfulness as mm-hmm. he calls it mm-hmm. so uh, yeah very very important yeah Brilliant. and so the final one then is is um dr happiness which yeah. for me i call dr happiness the chief physician um i think i'm the textbooks might tell me that uh, that dr quiet's the chief physician but for right. me Dr. Happiness is the guy that, that is really important in, in everyone because it's about why you're here, what you want from life yeah. and and what you and how and who you want to s- surround yourself with. Um, it links into your core values, the things that matter most to you um, and, you know, and the things that you want to pass on um, and it's not unfortunate it's maybe becoming more common i think probably 10 years ago when i was really first going through this it was really uncommon for people to sit down and think about just what do i want yeah what do i want to be doing you know you know what do i value in life and it takes time and it takes deliberate consciousness to do that but actually when you do that it makes it makes it really easy to navigate to good stuff in life yeah and if you're going to have an experience in life you might as well have a good one as opposed to one that that makes you unpleasant um and it's some of it's relatively easy relatively straightforward um i don't very rarely work people through to you know to really nailing down their true purpose in life yeah because it takes a lot of a lot of sort of emotional development and a lot of thought and a lot of time and a lot of effort and very rarely when people sit down at the start and say this is what i want to achieve 
very rarely is it, I want to know what my purpose in life is. Yeah. Um, so actually the more important, the more beneficial element of that is sitting down and working what your values are. Yeah. You know, what do you value about your physical health? What do you value about your mental health, about your social life or your, so, your friendship circle or your spirituality or the space that you occupy or the time that you have, you know, what is it in all those different areas that actually you really value? Um, And a really good example of that um, that I use is we moved house nine years ago now and I hadn't really gone in depth into my values too much at that point. And it was when we moved, we moved into a village and we've got no houses at the front and the back, which fantastic. We've got neighbours left and right, um, but not front and back. And very quickly, I sort of, I just found myself just constantly looking out the window, constantly being drawn and, and, and you can absorb energy and you can absorb calmness and you can, you know, you can settle down. And so for me, that's become one of my values, you know, space, you know, the ability to see the sky. Um, And there's a place over in Solo, do you know Dickens Heath? Yes. You can't see the sky. It's worse than New York City, that place. Right. I, I don't understand the architecture of it. And again, I've not gone in and around every every element mm-hmm. of it, but my sister used to live there. And it is just really tight. And there's yeah. houses everywhere. And I know modern architectures you know, and developments tend to be that way, but Dickens Heath seems to be a level above for me. Right. Um, and I, I would not like to live there. You yeah. know, Other people may love to live there, but for me, that would be my idea of hell. Yeah. And that would be stressful. It would add load to me. It would deteriorate my health. Being out in a village with grass around me, green land, I can see the space in front of me. I can see the space behind me. That's calming to me. That that helps my you know moves my health in the right direction yeah. rather than the wrong direction. So again, with Doctor Happiness, it is very much about looking at that. And then also, you know, the the sort of somewhat awkward, but I quite enjoy it is the idea of then looking at the people you spend time with and asking if they're driving you in a similar direction. Yeah. Um, you know, are they energizing your life or are they not? Um, and if they're not, well, you know, why are you spending time with them? Well, there's a Jim Rohn quote that I quote so often is you become the average of the five people you spend most time right, with. Right, okay. So if you hang out with yeah. um, four fat mm, people, you'll yeah. be the fifth. Yes. <laughs> but I, I know 100%. that sounds a bit crude, but no, no. absolutely mm. you do. In fact, it's one of those things, Jim, that... Over the years, I've heard over and over again, but it, it hasn't sunk in. And that might be the case for a lot of listeners, but the impact your peers have on you mm. is absolutely profound and it's happening at a subconscious level. I, you don't even know it's going on. I would 100% agree with you on that in that I've heard that quote many, many times. I'm sure I've heard it from you many, many times. And I'd forgotten about it, but it is so true. you know. And it really does make you think. When And again, you, absolutely, you, you know, and again, so Paul Paul Check, one of his quotes is, you know, because he's a massive believer in the subconscious. I think ninety percent of all our thoughts are subconscious, right. something like that. And um, you know, his his view is, and again, you, you deal with this with clients. You know, if you want to know what you're thinking, you know, look at what's around you, because that's you know that's what you that's what that's what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and it, it ties in. So yeah, you're the and to get people to look at their environment and and. The good, the good thing about going through the programs that clients go through with us is they they really understand what they're about, but then they also appreciate the people around them that much more. Inevitably, some of the people around them will will not be there at the end when they are at the, at the start. And that's not done deliberately. That's just the natural evolution of things yeah. um, because like attracts like, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but actually when they, what, what often happens as well, and the best example I can give you is, you know, when... 
when somebody goes on a new diet, okay, generally there are two reactions. And the more extreme the diet is, the more noticeable the reactions are. You either have people who poo-poo it completely, yep. who just, oh, what are you doing that for? That's a load of nonsense. I saw so-and-so. They said that was a waste of time. This, you know. Or others come out and go, wow, that's really interesting. Tell me more. Oh, yeah. well done you. You know, and, and nine times out of 10, you don't really know who's going to say what. And you get some very, un- some very disappointing surprises from the people who poo-poo it but you also get some great rewarding surprises from the people who back you up yeah and and i that analogy can can plan out to the doctor happiness working that when you know that you know i value a good night's sleep yeah. I, you know i'm in bed by 10 o'clock most nights right people laugh at me because they say oh well, why aren't you going out why aren't you doing this you know or if i'm at a party i'm always the first one to leave but that's because i value my sleep yeah. and you know the people i spend time with allow me to do that they don't you know they don't try and change they're not me. judging you they're not judging me yeah. they're accepting me for who i am and yeah. you know and and i don't judge them if they want to stay up till whatever time then then good for them um and and that's to my mind that is one of the secrets to happiness if you like is to surround yourself with people who value the same things as you do um, they don't have to agree with you but they can you know they, they value the same things they, and they, they don't judge you exactly yeah. so it's interesting so we've talked happiness so to get happiness or part of that Philosophy is your values. Yep. It's your environment. Yep. It's the people you spend time with. Is there anything else in terms of that we've got to watch out for to make sure we don't fall into the unhappy trap? Um, I, yeah, I think it's, it's looking, to me, it's looking at what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. And this, for me, I'm not... I, I, I will be corrected on this um, in due course because I've sort of put this out to a few mindfulness practitioners. I'm not a fan of mindfulness as I understand it at the moment. It's There are purer forms of mindfulness, whether that be meditation, whether that be, you know, yoga and Tai Chi and, and those things, which I'm more I'm more into the pure, pure things. Mindfulness seems to me a bit modern day. OK, I know I know I'm going to get called out on that and I'm perfectly happy to be. Um, but um the again it's where i do like mindfulness is being mindful of what you're doing on a day-to-day basis actually not just cruising through a week and then waking up going oh crumbs what what happened there going right today is this and right now i'm doing that and i'm you know and i'm 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 purposeful in what what i'm doing and what i'm saying who i'm spending my time with um and and again my one of my other phrases life is not made of chocolate you know life isn't great all the time there's struggles to be had. There are things that won't go your way. But if you understand why you're trying to achieve something difficult, if you know why it matters and you understand what you're doing to work towards it, then the struggle is all part of the achievement in the end. And in some respects, makes it more worthwhile. Um, yeah. 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 If you've got to struggle a little bit, a bit of adversity that you overcome, you feel yeah. you feel really, really good about yourself. Mm. Very, very interesting. Very, very interesting. Yeah. One of the things they say that loneliness is a big killer and that social aspect of spending time with people. Mm. And there's a book that I've loved called Ikigai. I'll put that in the episode notes. Mm. And it's interesting your take on mindfulness because we have a tendency to have to label everything right now. But actually, back in the day, and another great book I've got into is Sapiens about it's the anthropology of the human race. Mm. Well, of course, they didn't have to label anything, but mm. everything you've talked about, living life on purpose, well, they had to forage and hunt and mm. do all of that. Mm. Um, movement, well, that all came absolutely naturally. Sleep came naturally because they sort of followed the sun. Yeah. Um, the social aspect of things. So they actually 
uh, we're happier in, mm. in a lot of respects than mm. where we are because happiness I've certainly learned isn't something you can chase it it's there you just you decide that you are <clears throat> you are happy in mm. fact most of us could be if we just didn't keep wanting stuff you know yeah. that we don't need to mm. impress people we didn't like and, yes. and all of that it's, yeah. there's a lot of stuff goes yeah. on so that's very enlightening Jim have you got I've got Four more questions okay. for you. Yeah, yeah. But have you got anything to add to the four doctors or that you'd like to cover? No, I don't think so. I think, you know, the four doctors gives gives people a good understanding of, of sort of creating balance in their life. And again, health is about balance. And whether you're targeting diabetes, whether you're targeting weight loss, whether you're targeting better, more energy or look just simply looking better or, um, you know, overturning... Uh, any sort of injury or IBS or those sorts of things, the more balanced you are, the better you'll be. Yeah. Um, and whether you're willing or wanting to work with somebody like me or whether you're wanting to do it on your own, if you can be more balanced, you'll be a, you know, a, a better, more vibrant human being. Yeah. What I recognise, I'm fairly disciplined in terms of a training regime. Mm. But what I do recognise is sometimes I fall into the category of not having enough sleep. I get excited about stuff. I'm in the zone. I might stay up late. And what I found is if I'm tired and then with some stress on top of it, I lose all my willpower. Mm. So this is when you drink the wine, you eat the chocolates. It's like, oh, whatever. And yeah. actually that, so you, I can see it on me. Mm. You know, if I don't get a good night's sleep and if there is stress in my life, then you start eating rubbish. You just, you know, you've only got, I think, when you wake up at the, you've only got a certain amount of willpower. Yeah, yeah. And if you've used all that up because you're knackered, mm. then, and then maybe you have done some exercise, but then that's followed with terrible nutrition mm. or whatever. So it's getting that balance. Is yeah, so, willpower is so an interesting one. I always describe willpower as a little pot of liquid gold, which when right. you need to use it, you use it and it, it changes the world, but it runs out really quick. Yeah. And, nobody will nobody will lose more than half a stone in weight on willpower alone yeah okay you know if you haven't bought into more of the psychology of weight loss then you're not you won't lose two three stone on willpower it just won't happen um and i've got clients that do try you know i i, I will put them put all the things in place and teach them and talk them through it and yes 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 and then they'll go and just try and do it on willpower it never yeah. works so yeah interesting there's loads more we can talk about. Yep. And um, perhaps we should come back to it because you and okay. I also talked about um, two things uppermost on my mind, which is a book called Breath. Yes. Or Breathe. Yes. And then this Oxygen Advantage, yes. which I mentioned to you. Yeah. So what I'd love to do is get a couple of perspectives off that. Yeah. You know, as a, in an episode in the future uh -huh. to, because with your background, mm. and like you said, sometimes there's overclaiming of, of how yeah. these things work. So I think that would make a really good discussion. Yeah. But I'd like to come back to these last four questions I want to ask you, Jim. Yep. And that is a bit of philosophy, I suppose, family philosophy of ours. Um, so here's a question. Are you ready for them? Yep. What makes you feel alive? Live. So if you think of live, what's living for you? Living for me is creating a, an environment for people around me to be the very best they can be and to, to be able to achieve things they're not sure they could have achieved. Yeah. Um, and so... 
I, you know, I'm not a person that, you know, living is all about, you know, the instant thing when you say about living, it's, it's, yeah, for me, it's the outdoors. It's going camping. It's being outdoors. I yep. go camping with my kids. It's, you know, that's some of the most contented time I have. But I only want to be able to do that if I've actually done a good day's work and created an environment for my clients where they can go and do their passions and achieve everything they want out of it. So again, it's about, you know, my purpose in life is to inspire people to live with health and happiness through my own personal example primarily um, and so that's what living is for me excellent and love what does love mean to you or what do you love doing um i love uh, what does love mean to me that's a good one um i think love is is having a passion and being and being allowed to follow it through yeah. um and allowing so, and again, in, in a relationship or in a family, it's allowing other people to follow the passion that they have, um, whatever that, however that may come. Um, so, yeah, that's... Okay, yeah. brilliant. And what about laugh or laugh? I'm always corrected. I'm a pr- pr- what makes you laugh or what makes you happy? Laughing, I, I, love, I love laughter. I love being with... For me, laughter is a group of guys talking nonsense possibly over a beer you know just <laughs> around ju- a campfire around a campfire ideally but not necessarily you know some of my you know one of my real anchors in my week i, my, I coach my son's rugby team and you know it's it, there's a group of us there and you know coaching is good fun we get you know we've seen the lads grow from seven eight years old up to sort of 15 now they're becoming adults, so our relationship with them is changing. But then as coaches, you know, it's them going, you know, sit in the bar afterwards. And and again, one of the really pleasant things is you don't have to have a drink. You know, there's never any pressure you can have. You know, I, I didn't have a drink last weekend. I probably won't this weekend. Um, most of the weekends I will, you know, but yeah. there's other people who don't. But it's just about that camaraderie, that sort of togetherness, that sort of, you know, that sort of um, like that male bonding. That's important to me. You know, I, you know go back to my rugby days it was all male the RF regiment was all male at the time I was in it I went to an all boys school you know yeah. um, I'm, I am a man's man you know that says you know I, I enjoy female company but for me that sort of laughing around a campfire with a beer in your hand talking talking nonsense as well and not taking <laughs> life too seriously sounds brilliant and finally learn what is what have you learned what is the best piece of advice maybe that you've ever been given <laughs> Um, probably over the course of my lifetime, um, the best piece of advice is to ask why, you know, and just, you know, no more than that. If something works, why? If something doesn't work, why? And that then will lead you on to the next one and the next one and the next one. Um, so over the course of my life, that's probably it. Brilliant. So Jim, thank you very much for today and giving it your most precious asset, which is your time. You're welcome. Um, uh, I've really enjoyed it. Hope the the listener. Uh, hopefully, you've got more than one. You only need one, don't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Podcast hey, you only need has one. enjoyed it as well. Yeah. We'll put all the links to your website. If, yep. if somebody would like to work with you, it's JT Ethos um, Master Personal Trainers, and and of course JT stands for Jim Thorpe. It, it does. Yes. You? And you know, testimonial to the work you and I have done. I've 
just been impressed by your approach. I've tried lots of other people and uh, the alignment bit that you did with me. So I'm not going to go into any detail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somebody wants to work with you and find that out. Mm-hmm. But that's made a huge difference to me. Yeah. And posture, it's funny when I sit in front of you here doing this podcast, every time you mention it, I'm thinking, I wonder what my posture's like. <laughs> <laughs> You're sitting better than but I am, to be but fair. It's, <laughs> it is absolutely key as well. Yeah. So thank you for everything that you do for everybody, thank mm-hmm. you for what you've done for me, and thank you again for being on the podcast. Well, no, and, and you know, and I'll, I'll sort of re- reiterate that if I may, is actually thank you for what you know what you've done for me. You know, we've known each other now for for nigh on fifteen years, and I do remember in that meeting you turned up in your utility warehouse mini, okay, <laughs> and you made me because again, when you asked me what's the biggest lesson I've learned. The other one that sticks to me now as a 45-year-old bloke is the need for residual income. Ah, yeah. Okay, and you've taught me that more than anybody else, and it's not one I listen And I look back now at that meeting, I went, do you know what? I wasn't ready for the opportunity you gave me then. Yeah. Um, so it was the right decision at the time, but yeah, maybe looking back, it might have been a smarter decision. Um, but no, I mean, you know, you, through this podcast, you're doing it, you know, you're an inspiration to people, you know, if, you know, if, if you know, top five people, I would like to be, you know, having around in my circle, you would be one of those oh, because you. of the example you set and the way you go about, you know, creating this positive learning, you know, sort of forward thinking attitude, you know, environment around you. So uh, it's been more than a pleasure to sit and sit and talk with you. With you. Thank you, Jim. I'll take the compliment and I'll pay you later. OK, Thanks. no Cheers. problem. <laughs> <laughs>